Welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats with Katie and Izzy. Thank you for uh, for joining us again. We really, we love you guys. Thank you. And girls, women, ladies. It's been a long week. Um, can I just say that? I had to break into my studio at work, literally. It was a whole thing. There was a chainsaw involved. I guess it's like a horror story if there's a chainsaw involved, right? I a guess. Horror story in my... It was a horror story in my stress and anxiety. <laughs> but if you want to go to Axe Murders, I watched The Shining last night. It was really good, and I forgot how much I really enjoyed that movie. And he carries an axe. So there. I've only seen it once, and... It's it's really good. It's definitely not the book. I'll tell you that. I've never read the book. Andy's read the book, and he says it's very different. But Stanley Kubrick did a good job in his own kind of direction. Because apparently the axe was supposed to be a mallet. I like the axe better. And that's more that's why Stanley changed it. Exactly. That's why he changed it. So, Speaking of axe murderers and um, killing people with axe, well, getting through doors and killing and people with axes. movies and based objects. off of written works. Uh, yeah. This week, we are doing the movie From Hell. It's, it has Johnny Depp in it. And normally with anything with Johnny Depp, it keeps my attention. But you know man, what? did I struggle. When I saw the cover to this, the first thing I was I thought was, did Tim Burton direct this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he did, I probably would have liked it more. <laughs> uh, Let's be honest. I'm obsessed with Tim Burton and his works and Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. They're tattooed on my feet. That's uh, not a joke. Uh, trying to come up with a pun. <laughs> I can't think of one. It's Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett. They're awesome. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about... Well, I mean, he uses a cleaver, which you mistake for an axe a lot. So, I mean... <laughs> Connection. Yeah. <laughs> this movie came out in 2000, October of 2001, so they thought it was going to do well. I think it grossed like $74 million internationally. This is a listener request. From our listener, Jeremy Kahn. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you for interacting. It's really nice. This movie is classified as a horror mystery thriller, which I, I would agree with for most parts. It's got a good gory gross scene. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> but it is inspired by the true life serial killer, Jack the Ripper. Dun, Back in the 1800s. Dun. This film was directed by the Hughes brothers, Albert and Alan. They are a set of twins that I guess have had like a pretty good uh, career. Okay. They started making like short movies when they were like 15. So not like well-known movies or anything like that, but like they've been in the game for a long time. Right. And the movie I recognized the most that they'd done was The Book of Eli. Oh, okay. I still haven't seen that. You I'm haven't sorry. seen it? No, I'm sorry. Oh, it's I, so uh, good. I know, and that's what I keep hearing, and I've been wanting to watch it, but, like, I... Every time I, like, get to the point where I can watch it, I don't have access to it. Um, it's a so long movie, my... too, but it's Yeah, good. that's what I hear, and that's my dilemma, so I've got to find it and then watch it on the time where I have. All right, the screenplay for this was written by Terry Hayes, who worked on the 80s versions of Mad Max, oh, and cool. Vertical Limit, which has Paul Walker in it. It's 
Rest in peace, Paul Walker. I love you so much. It's such a good movie. <laughs> I could tell you stories about that man, mainly about Fast and Furious and that man, but God, I love Paul Walker. I used to watch Vertical Limit on VHS. It's a good movie. Back in the day. I still have a couple of VHSs here at my home because I don't, I, I'm a hoarder. Sorry. Uh, s- side note, because you <laughs> said that. I found an article the other day that was talking about the, like, original cut of the 70s Star Wars that came out. Like, the episode four, I guess, is what it got renamed right um and it is i guess incredibly rare to find because all of the versions that have come out since have been updated like they update and they have that they have the the, the music video scene they in job of the hut yeah they like they update the the effects the and yeah scenes and stuff like that so uh, the original like movie theater cut is really hard to find. I have the VHS ones, like that VHS pack that has Darth Vader on it. I have those. So we have my parents have them too, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, man, maybe we have like th- an original. But I guess that s- special edition pack that all came out together is one of the first ones where they like those major changes. Wow, fuck. I, <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. how like. If that's I need to get a true, VHS true, player, but... and I need to gear. I need to grab those movies from my parents' house. Anyways, back to your graphic novel. So the other screenplay writer for this movie was Rafael Iglesias, and he was also part of the Dark Water movie. Ooh, that's one we should still watch. By the way, that's I like it. Also based off a well, it's not based off of. It's but not. But there's a lot of connections. Yes, to him. To a Elise. What's her name? Uh, Elisa Lamb. The so this movie is based off a series of graphic novels that was written by Alan Moore and the artist was Eddie Campbell. And we will get and we'll give like a full rundown. Hit, on yeah, them. exactly. <laughs> we'll we'll get to their details in a little bit. Um, but let's get into the cast because it starts with Johnny Depp. Okay, uh, so. <laughs> Inspector Frederick Aberlein, who is played by Johnny Depp. Um, I love Johnny Depp. He's wonderful. Uh, he's in a lot of Tim Burton movies, as everybody knows. He's from. He's born from. He was born in Kentucky, and then he uh, was raised in Florida. And he dropped out of high school at fifteen, and um, joined music garage bands. Because what else do you do at fifteen when you drop out of high school? Can I tell you? For a very long time, I did not know that he was born in America. <laughs> Because he oh. plays so many, uh, oh, uh, like British European accent like, yeah. parts. He does so well with them. His very first movie was actually um, Nightmare on Elm Street, and uh, his death was his death was so hard to film. They said because they did it in one of those like tumbler rooms that literally like flips upside down, so the blood would actually like come pouring out and stuff. But they had problems with like things falling down, and they didn't want that effect to be there. It was so great. I watched too much Nightmare on Elm Street, but he is tattooed on my arm. So the first time I watched Nightmare on Elm Street, I was like, "Is that Johnny Depp?" Because like from certain angles, like his face was clearly well, there, he, but he's, he's so, so young. young. Yeah, so young, so beautifully handsome though. Ah, mm. uh, I love Johnny Depp. I always will. The other main player in this movie is the prostitute Mary Kelly. And 
you if you know details of Jack the Ripper, you'll recognize the names of the characters because they're pretty true to the true life right story. Uh, but Mary Kelly was played by Heather Graham, which I recognize her most from Scrubs and The Hangover. She's uh-huh. the uh-huh. stripper. <laughs> uh, and then Austin the Powers. Crazy best. Oh, wait. Yeah. And in Anger Management. The Another character we have is Sir William Gull, who is played by Ian, Ian Holm. And uh, you'll obviously know if you know lord of the rings actors very well he plays bilbo baggins and he's like some of the he's like the first person you pull out i was like oh it's bilbo exactly he sadly died last year at 88 um in june so we're coming up on the one year anniversary of his death i know i didn't know he died it was really sad when i saw that that's hard i think i did know he died i just couldn't remember the next one is sergeant peter godley and he's played by robbie coltrane who is Hagrid in Harry Potter? He's a hairless Hagrid. It's hilarious. It um, is. <laughs> it's weird because he's very clearly Hagrid. Like, I didn't have to squint my eyes and be like, man, is that Hagrid? As soon as I saw his face, I was like, it's Hagrid. But at the same time, it's not Hagrid at all. <laughs> he's, not, he's not giant. I mean, like, he's he's bigger, but he, like he's not giant and he's not hairy at all. But, um,. Yeah, so we have ha- we have Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings actors in this. And we brought in Star Wars. What more do you need? <laughs> yeah. We the, have everything. The big three. Let's mention some Star Trek later and we'll be good. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, Sir Charles Warren was played by Ian Richardson. I don't really recognize him from anything else. Uh, Netley the Coachman was played by Jason Fleming. I didn't put any notes for him either. <laughs> it's cool um i think these are just less known characters that are later on in the movie that you kind of slowly know little very little um but then we have polly nichols who's played by annabelle Apson, annie chapman and she's played by katrin it's katrin right katrin card uh cartilage cartilage then there's liz stride who is played by susan lynch kate eddowes 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 whatever it's uh, played by leslie sharp and then um you get anna crook who's the old prostitute that got lucky and um she got married to a man a, a, a rich man um and that's joanna page and then um you have martha tol uh tobram tabram tabram i think it's tabram tabram okay uh then there's martha tabram who is Tabram? Sorry, who is played by Samantha Spiro? You just got to say it in a British accent, Martha Tabram. Martha Tabram. Okay, all right. There you go. There, See? Go. there you go. <laughs> just work rolls off the tongue a lot better. <laughs> all right. Should have done that with all of those, and maybe I wouldn't have stuttered so badly. You could go through them again if you want. It's cool. I don't want to make be- sound like an asshole trying to do everything in a British accent. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I did it. So all the ones she just listed played like the group of prostitutes that basically everybody just has unlucky, unlucky endings. Yep. Except, I mean, Anne technically wasn't murdered, but might as well have been. The Anne as we knew her. (laughs) All right. So let's get into this movie. This is going to be a long synopsis or longer than our usual ones. 
because it is a twisty turvy movie and it was really confusing i'm gonna be completely honest and i got really lost watching this movie and so um i'm it's... gonna be doing a lot of ooey's and ahs and oh okay <laughs> it's it was a lot uh to do but we'll talk about it uh yeah. so this movie set in 1888 whitechapel london which is on the east end of london and just to like set the scene this is where kind of the undesirables lived <laughs> poor people lived there was like stricken with poverty people selling stuff on the streets prostitution uh there was things called common oh i gotta look it up now i don't know they were like little housing units that you could rent for a night that was their attempt at trying to get people off the streets but it kind of just brought in a lot of trouble uh, right. so it's that only makes sense it's not a wholesome place <laughs> and it's it not starts a place you would want to go on vacation <laughs> exactly so it starts out with mary kelly and her small group of prostitute friends and they are in desperate need of money to pay off the local gang that like runs their territory basically they're like you're supposed to be paying me for protection or i'm gonna cut your throat and then that storyline just kind of drops <laughs> just so you know uh yeah. they while they're trying to figure out how they're going to make this money to pay the gang leader they run into their friend and former prostitute who got lucky and married a wealthy painter and as we said earlier she offers to cover their expenses if they could babysit her infant for the day so they are like okay and they take this baby and they just i don't know walk around Whitechapel, i guess and bring her back in the evening only to find Anne and her husband being like torn from their home by some shady secret service looking guys yeah all dressed it's nice the men in black <laughs> yeah basically they like get thrown in this like all black carriage which is i guess their version of an suv and <laughs> <laughs> driven off so they take the baby and drop them off at the grandparents' house. And then that night, one of their friends, Polly, gets brutally murdered. Brutally. And this is when Johnny Depp enters the scene as Inspector Frederick Aberline. He plays a clairvoyant Sherlock Holmes-type inspector with an opium addiction. And he has visions while he's like in this opium-induced state. Uh, but it really doesn't do much for the movie, to be honest. <laughs> I think you see, like, one of his visions. But they don't move the f story forward at all. Like, mm -hmm. you kind of see it, and then, like, he can't do anything with it. It's just like, right. oh, that was like a dream. And Cool. <laughs> yeah, it really serves nothing to the movie. <laughs> but anyways, uh, he gets hired because he is, one, really good, and two... People are like generally like him in this neighborhood, and because he's sexy. As soon as he sees, as soon as he <laughs> sees the body at, at the mortuary in the corner and everything, he goes. Obviously, this was done by an educated man with a knowledge of anatomy, and his boss goes, "No, no, no, no civilized man could do this," and basically shuts down everything he tries to do during this investigation. So yeah, he was like he straight up was like 
it could never be a knowledgeable English man. And I was like, oh, yeah, it easily could. Because class is like a big theme in the Jack the Ripper case in real life and in right. all the recreations. Uh, anyways, long synopsis. Returning. So because he keeps getting blocked by his superior, he ends up seeking the help of a surgeon who can help identify maybe who could be doing these murders or with what. And he meets some really old surgeon named Sir William Gull, who has become the personal physician to the royal family. A.K.A. Bilbo Baggins. Yes. Yes. Young Bilbo Baggins. Let me say that. He's not even really that young, but he's very, he kind of has that same creepy mentality of, uh, like that. This is my precious. Like yeah. that. That crazy comes out. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so Aberlene and Mary find Anne, who had been snatched from her home. Uh, they find her in what they called a workhouse, but it looks more like an asylum, where she had been lobotomized and was not coherent at all. Lobotomy is not a real thing that could help. And well, the way they were doing it, no. Right. They, never mind. That's a totally different conversation for another day. Uh, Let's be honest. I don't know much about it. It's just portrayed terribly, and I know that it's putting some like a stake in your eye, and that just sounds terrible. So that's an ocular lobotomy, or like a frontal lobe lobotomy, that got really big in America, and sometimes it actually did help, but it was very unresearched, and they were doing it in like the back of vans, <laughs> so. It wasn't cool, classy. That's yeah. safe. Uh, it wasn't very uh, observed. Um, so I don't want to say that like it doesn't help. It's not preferred. <laughs> but the lobotomies they're doing in this movie, they were literally just like taking a stake and stabbing it through their the forehead, and then the right temple and the left temple, which will do all the stuff that happens in this movie, I guess. But yeah. Not helpful in that case. No. No. Uh, there's also this random side plot that the baby is missing, which... I got so confused with that one. They just kind of, like, like, slid it in there. Yeah. And then you find out that this group of prostitutes that Mary Kelly hangs out with is, like, the target of these murders. And they're being hunted down one by one by some carriage with a really fancy step stool that they put way too much emphasis on throughout the whole movie i feel like i know more detail about that step stool than i do about this movie exactly uh but this carriage is riding around and like luring this group of prostitutes one by one into the carriage with grapes where they get offered a shot which drugs them and then they get murdered so aberlane starts to connect all these is it sick I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. Is it sick that I was literally eating frozen grapes watching this movie? (laughs) No, because grapes are delicious. Especially when they're frozen. I was watching it. It's really ironic. I was watching it and I was like, "Mm, grapes sound really good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because they are. And they do. But uh, Aberlene starts to connect all these miscellaneous plot points (laughs) that no real person would put together and it's it's that red yarn that randomly connects everything yes yes and he determines that this whole thing is a secret organization of rich white men uh which is the freemasons 
and that they are behind these murders because they are trying to cover up the legitimate daughter of the prince. So where that all comes together is that these prostitutes witnessed the marriage of their friend Anne to this rich painter who was actually the prince and son of Queen Victoria. So he... Oh, <laughs> oh did you not get that? Oh. <laughs> I think they glossed over that part. Uh, they... So the prince gets diagnosed with syphilis, which in the movie they say like degrades him very quickly so they're expecting him to die soon so what they're trying to do is the royal family needs to cover up this baby that they had together because that baby will have a claim to the throne so the queen tells goal that he needs to like take care of this problem and he like in his delusional mind starts doing some ritual that never gets explained that has to do with these five prostitutes and something with the 21st or the 20th century. And that's why he's killing all of them. And then the Freemason group didn't actually know that he was the one murdering all these people. They knew about like the plot to cover up the baby, but they didn't know that he was doing some weird whack ritual murder thing. So when, when they find out they lobotomize him and dump him into one of the workhouses so that to like cover it all up. Aberlene gets fired at one point and then they like rehire him because he knows too much. But it's like a subtle backhanded hiring where they're like, hey, we'll promote you. But if you say anything, we'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And Mary Kelly manages to sneak away with the baby where she found that they don't explain and with the grandparents where she left it oh no because she says they're missing when they go to the that she's like where's where's Anne?" and then she says the baby and her grandparents are missing and that's why he's like i promise at the end of this i'll help you find that baby so i don't know where the heck she found the baby (laughs) and it was still with the grandparents because they were all missing but that's just me uh So Mary Kelly (laughs) sneaks away with the baby and returns to her home in Ireland with the money that Aberlene left for her. And in her room, the night she sneaks away, there's a French girl that had randomly, like, squeezed her way into this group, which is an awful and unfortunate event for her because she gets confused as Mary Kelly and brutally murdered. And... That kind of sucks. Then Aberlene decides he can never join Mary in Ireland, even though he is in desperate love with her, because then the Society of Freemasons will be able to find her, and he dies of an overdose in an opium den, and it ends. And Hagrid finds him. That was... It's twisty-turvy. Slow. It's 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 a two-hour-long movie, and it's kind of slow. It's really weird to watch, because... There's a lot happening and they're trying to guide you to this big realization of the Freemasons and goal and whatever the hell his ritual was. But it's very repetitive. Yeah. They don't explain things. 
it's very repetitive with the way that the women get murdered. That's um, why I know what the damn footstool looks like. <laughs> yes, and it makes you feel like it's lasting so much longer than it really is. Because you're like, murder, footstool, murder, footstool. How long is this movie? Yeah. But, I mean, it was a good movie. It's just... It and normally, like, with anything with Johnny Depp, normally I'm kind of, like, glued to the screen. But for some reason, I just, like, I I don't know. I was so easily unfocused on the movie, and I couldn't stay focused into the movie. I was focused because I am someone who I love to try and guess who the murderer is before they reveal it. So I was really trying oh, to figure out the I plot <laughs> the whole time. Uh, so that kept me focused. But it's not a fulfilling conclusion because like I said you don't understand what the hell the ritual was and maybe that's the point was nobody understood because he was clearly going rogue and just had lost his mind like maybe that was the point but maybe he was really just crazy when you find out as we mentioned that it's based off a graphic novel Uh, and you read about the story of the graphic novel, it all comes together. And then you realize that they tried to take a really complex plot line that's spread throughout years of graphic novels and shove it into this two-hour movie. (laughs) And that (laughs) That is... That doesn't exactly work. Yeah, that's why it it doesn't work as well. So, as we said... The graphic novel was written by Alan Moore and artist Eddie Campbell. It was originally published in 1989 until 1998, so almost exactly 100 years after the murders, or exactly 100 years after the murders. <laughs> yep, pretty much. I math. And then the full collection was republished in 1999 by Top Shelf Productions. And the collected edition is 572 pages long. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's long. Like we said, they tried to take a really complex plot line and shove it into this movie. In 2000, fun fact, the graphic novel was banned in Australia for several weeks after customs officers seized copies of the seventh issue from a shipment intended for quality comics. What? Yeah, I don't know. It's unfortunate. I'm sure they lost lots of money. You're not allowed to sell these. So the premise for the graphic novel slash the movie is based on an actual theory for a who is Jack the Ripper kind of a thing called the Royal Conspiracy Theory. And this theory was made like really famous by Stephen Knight in a book that he wrote, Jack the Ripper, The Final Solution. Uh, and he got that he like compounded off the original idea that came out in 1973 in the BBC program Jack the Ripper and what this theory says is that Prince Albert Victor sorry his name is really long Prince Albert Victor Christian Edward (laughs) is thought to have committed the murders to cover up his alleged marriage to a Catholic girl which is I guess a no-no in Protestant England maybe and you crook. Can't do that. And so that's where like that whole conspiracy of Queen Victoria trying to shut down the baby thing. Makes sense. 
and in the comic book mary kelly and her friends they don't just like stumble upon this idea they know exactly that the baby is a legitimate throne of the air and they attempt to blackmail the somebody else who knows i guess who like somebody who is hired to cover up the baby they attempt to blackmail them to pay off that gang that they need to pay and so just like in the movie, Queen Victoria hires Gull to take care of it. But in the the comic series, the police are like fully aware of what's happening and are told to not intervene in any way. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's always great. So then that's, Gull That's helpful. Yeah. So then Gull, being a Freemasoner with uh, a deteriorating constitution starts killing them claiming that it is part of an illuminati threat to the throne and that he believes there are elaborate mystical rituals to ensure continuation of the patriarchy his whole goal in life is men rule over women forever cool which explains why he hates women (laughs) yeah so uh he in the comic series he has psychic visions which i think are really just schizophrenic episodes basically or not schizophrenic episodes hallucinations um that he should be murdering these women and that based off of his success of this ritual he will secure male dominance a century into the future cool that's like the whole plot line and you don't really get any of that (laughs) from the movie he's literally just like i think it's a ritual and then at the end he goes i'm gonna take us into the 20th century and then that's it (laughs) uh the comic focuses a lot on goal side of the story Um, it goes through like his deteriorating mental state his role as both an assassin and a serial killer which made me think of the executioner we talked about in our last episode yeah um, like where do you draw the line between serial killer and it's just a job <laughs> um but he goes on to like start describing various landmarks to his coachman and how magical they are and their whatever powers they're lending him and one of them is cleopatra's needle and that gets mentioned briefly in the movie as well right before he murders i think it's the dark dark annie or dark whatever her name is susan lynch yeah no yeah. uh dark annie chapman yeah that she like briefly is eating grapes and she's like wow that's cool and he's like it's cleopatra's needle and then he murders her and <laughs> i thought that would be a lot more <laughs> Like, I thought they were going to tie that in later into the movie. They didn't. No explanation as to why that was important. Nope. It was just like another tidbit fact they just shoved in there. Oh, here's this. (laughs) Yeah, really. That's what they did. They were like, hmm, but what if we put this in here? And Sure, it fits. In the comic, he orders his henchman slash carriage driver to write... The infamous From Hell letter, which we will describe later, but that's a real life event that they tied into that, which also gave them 
the title from hell so that's where that comes from and aberlene in this comic series is not a psychic he's just like a regular inspector (laughs) but he does enlist the help of a psychic to the queen who i guess is a phony to help solve this murder and his name is robert james lee who is also a real life character in the story of jack the ripper Hmm. but uh, just the name and not necessarily that he worked for the queen or anything like that but he i guess has a grudge against goal and tells aberlene that he's the murderer because he knows what's going on and then the freemasons imprison goal they frame a poor boarding school teacher, kill him, make him look like a suicide. And then I guess it ends with Goal. Like just before he dies, he has some major out-of-body experience where he sees all the murders he committed. Um, and then like all the murders, at, like copycat killers and murderers and artwork and things that he inspired based off those murders. So he's like, oh, look at all the good I did. And then he sees who is supposed to be Mary Kelly in Ireland with four kids named after the women he murdered, which is a surprise to him because he thought he had killed her. And she, I guess, interacts with his spirit because I guess she's clairvoyant or something, too, and tells him to go back to hell. And that's how it ends. And then fuck you. So it is equally as, like, convoluted, but it does go into more detail. So the true story of Jack the Ripper. (laughs) Yes. Moving on. The true story is actually like way cooler than all this psychic weird stuff they like tried to throw. Yeah. Again, I just got so confused where they were going and I didn't understand it. And it was so confusing. But if you go to Amazon Prime, there is a movie on there called Jack the Ripper. The definitive story It was made in 2012. Um, It doesn't seem like it. I mean, did I you watch that one older. it was so i only got part way through it oh my gosh me my too my friends came over but it was oh the cgi was so bad the green I, screen was so bad the acting was awful oh um, it was rough it was rough it i was, got through 20 minutes of it and i was like i have to turn this off yeah and it was like highly rated i was like oh that that's not right so it's very informative whereas they put a lot of professionals in there and it gives details but when they fairly poorly done the yeah the reenactment parts that they do are awful i would rather they just talked and then showed pictures yeah of the actual crime scenes and maps and stuff because totally cool once i turned that off i found a website that's literally just jack the ripper they have all of the mortuary photo if you're like a morbid person they have all the mortuary photos of the victims, the crime scene oh, photos, which there's not really crime scene photos, but they right. have pictures of where the crimes happened. They've got pictures of all the letters that were sent that are relevant to the story. They go into detail about everything. They've mapped it out. They show every single suspect. You get to vote on which one you think is Jack the Ripper. It is in great detail. I was like, you all could have just took this website and turned it into a movie I would have been happy it would have been so much better yeah I didn't find any other good Jack the Ripper things Mm -hmm. to watch there are tons of podcasts that do justice to the case 
Morbid, last podcast on the left, are the ones that I have listened to personally. They go in varying depth of detail, um, but they do a good job. There's tons of really good books to read about it if you if this is like your thing. But yeah, I can't read where shit. If I if I start reading a book, it's gonna take me at least like two months to get through it. <laughs> the moral of our story is: do not watch Jack the Ripper, the definitive story. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so rough. If you do, just fast forward to where it looks like it's CGI'd. Watch that for two seconds, and you're going to be like, yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, the it's hard. It's hard. So, the true story of Jack the Ripper. Uh, the murders did take place Whitechapel, East End, poverty-stricken section of Victorian London, 1888. The choices for sleeping for a lot of these people, and you get a glimpse of this in the movie, too, um, if you pay attention, you could pay, I think it was like one pence or two pence to sleep in basically like a church pew and they like put a rope in front of you and they just stack people in. So you like sleep sitting up, like leaning on each other. Um, I don't know. God. If you, there's a very quick scene where Mary Kelly is sleeping on one of those pews and they go to add somebody in and the person takes the rope out from like their chest or whatever and everyone just like falls on the floor because they were sleeping. <laughs> Um, you could sleep in, like, a common house, which was very popular at the time. Like, rich people were building these, like, little home hotel type things. Uh, but they right. were four pence for a room, which was kind of hard to make at the time. Right. And they did not feel bad kicking you out if you couldn't pay. <laughs> yeah, no, they'd, like, throw you out. It's fine. Uh, it was filled with skilled skilled tradesmen lots of russian and jewish immigrants lived there uh, there was tons of prostitution people selling stuff on the street and oh yeah i found a little note that said prostitution was only illegal if it caused a public disturbance oh so that's basically to me that's like the turn the other cheek rule yep. basically like if i don't i don't see it i don't hear about it it's fine it's fine um there are a couple of different names for Jack the Ripper, which I think is kind of funny, but he signs a, a letter himself as Jack the Ripper, so um so <laughs> I like personally I like the first one or the it, first in our list we have here, but it's the Whitechapel Butcher, but I think it's cuz I like uh killers names with butcher in it cuz it makes them sound meaner maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit more threatening to me. Yeah. I mean, like, Ripper sucks. Like, Jack the Ripper, like, it sounds great, but, like, Whitechapel Butcher sounds wonderful, I think. Um, it just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it's just perfect. Um, there's also the Red Fiend. That sounds like a superhero or supervillain. <laughs> yeah. It's the Red Fiend. Um, and then there's Leather Apron, because they came to think or realize there was like a leather apron involved and I what we're just gonna call him the leather apron it's fine I think that's that I think that's lazy if anything so that's what the prostitutes called the gang leader that was oh is that what that is yeah oh okay he was again I got so confused that like I can't remember like any of this (laughs) For a while, they thought that 
leather apron was Jack the Ripper, but then they found out that it's two different people. Oh, okay. Okay. I think I remember part of this now. So, Jack the Ripper, if you don't know, uh, spoiler alert, nobody actually knows who he is. He is. He's the one that got away. Yeah. <laughs> one of probably many, unfortunately. Yeah. But to this day, people are still trying to figure out who it is. Hence uh, that poll on the website. His MO is to blitz attack prostitutes within or near the Whitechapel district. He strangles them from the front, cuts their throats twice, like very deeply, like to the, mm-hmm. to the bone, lets them bleed out and die so that they can't scream, basically. And then yeah. he does a post-mortem mutilation which includes removing organs. Yeah. And he sent the uh, the police an actual organ. No, he once. didn't. Did he not? I thought that was... No. He did in the movie. It was nice. It was, a, it was a gruesome little vision that you got to see in the movie. They did a close-up on it. I don't remember what organ it was. So that's like in the comic. They don't explain oh. it again in the movie. They just like do it and then they just gloss over it. Here, you can it. look at this liver i don't know what it was to be honest but it was bloody and gross it's a kidney in the comic oh that is the from hell letter that they forge the coachman forges and they send that chunk of human with it oh okay see you're connecting these things that i just couldn't i couldn't focus on understanding telling you my brain is just a shit ton of red string (laughs) yeah that's fair. I have three to four different boards in my head right now. There's the movie, the comic, the real life, and then there's the Freemasons, which I just decided not to even touch. There's one lone red string, and then after that, I just blacked out because I was like, too much. I can't fit this all into an hour episode. I can't, I can't do it. This needs its own goddamn podcast. <laughs> yeah, man. But going back to the murder, uh, so... Jack the Ripper is, like, fairly confidently attributed with five murders that occurred between August 7th to September 10th of 1888. There are other murders that are in the same case file as his, but it's fairly accepted that only those specific five that we're going to talk about are his murders. Random tidbits, uh, three of Jack the Ripper's victims had all lived at the same lodging house and they all all the murders also happened within a mile of each other yeah so other fun tidbits all five of these women were working as prostitutes they all had alcohol addiction tendencies and they were all like mothers I think they were all mothers. Maybe one of them wasn't. But they had all been separated from their husbands and just kind of like trying to survive in Whitechapel. The first murder that is not Jack the Ripper, but it keeps getting kind of like tied in with Jack the Ripper, is a murder that happened on April 4th to Emma Smith. And this was an English prostitute who was attacked and assaulted by three to four men. So she survived this attack goes to the hospital tells police hey this is who attacked me and then she died of her injuries Uh, she was murdered by a gang who was demanding protections for money and 
this was like the first really I guess like gruesome noted murder type deal that put people on edge so I think that's the only reason it really gets tied in to Jack the Ripper because it was that year people are just like oh this was kind of like a building block to just all this awfulness the next murder is also questionably (laughs) uh, Jack the Ripper but this is Martha Tabram She died August 7th, 1888. She was a mother of two with an alcohol addiction that caused her husband to leave her. She was killed in George Yard and found by a man named John Reeves. She was stabbed 39 times. Jesus Christ. Yeah, obsessive much. Dr. Killing, who I guess did the autopsy, uh, basically he says that two different blades were used. Uh, The majority of the wounds were inflicted with an ordinary pocket knife type thing. And then there was one really deep wound to her breast that had been done with something like a sword bayonet or like a much stronger dagger. Hmm. There was no bowel disembowelment. Like he didn't play around with her guts and take anything. That's the only reason they're like, this might be Jack the Ripper, but maybe not. But if you ask me, in every, what is it called? Criminal Minds episode. Uh, There's like a trigger murder right before they really like find their their happy place. (laughs) Um, And this is that murder where he just like went, he just went mayhem and then was like, wow, I really like this. It's like, okay, okay. (laughs) But that's just one theory. The other theory is it's not related at all because it was two different knives. So who knows? Hmm. All right. The next five victims are the ones that are like definitively Jack the Ripper. These are all gruesome. This whole episode is rough. So, yay. Yeah, it's um, it's true crime. <laughs> the pictures of these women, although morbid, uh, are truly haunting. Because they took pictures of all of them after... They'd been brought to the mortuary to help identify them. They take pictures and give them to the police officers who walk through the neighborhood and say, hey, do you know this woman? Do you know this woman? Some of them are much creepier than others. (laughs) Oh, I bet. Uh, So the first of the five is Mary Nichols. She died August 31st, 1888. She went by Polly. It's going to sound so bad. I know a woman that's literally named Mary Nichols. Um, Well, she's safe because this woman went by the name Polly. Oh, okay. That's weird, but okay. Yeah, a lot of them have uh, professional names, we'll say. (laughs) Oh, that would make sense. I guess that would uh, make sense. Okay, never mind. Uh, She was also separated from her husband and five children. And that's how she ended up in... That's rough. Yeah. That's how she ended up in Whitechapel, living in poverty, which led her to turn to alcohol. The night of her murder, she had been denied a room at the common lodging house because she didn't have the money. And so she was like, you know what? I'm going to go make some money. So she was prostituting herself. And she had like one of the big details that you hear about all over, like in every documentary and all over the Internet, is that she had a new bonnet that no one had seen her in before. And all I can think of when they talk about that are like showbirds where they like (laughs) when they're mating, they like put up their feathers. Yeah, that's what I picture because she's like, I got me a new bonnet. Look at it. Anyway, she's got this new bonnet. She's like, I'm going to go get me a man, pay for my room. Uh, she was found 
dead on Buck's Row by a constable, Neil, who was doing his rounds. Her throat had been slashed and she had been disemboweled. Cool. Cool. So the next is Annie Chapman, who died on September 8th. Uh, she was nicknamed the, or she went by um, Dark Annie. Was she evil? <laughs> um, I think it was just she, got into... she had like raven hair. Oh, okay. That would make sense. Um, she got into alcohol after her husband left and with her children, you know, years ago. And, uh, she had been sick and un- unable to work to afford her bed. And so once she got back home from the infirmary, she was kicked out to the streets. So that's hard living in poverty times. That really sucks. Oh, I can't imagine. But she was, um, she was killed on 29 Hanbury Street in Spitzfields. Is that what it's? I guess this is best. Oh, okay. And she was found by John Davis. Supposedly, the murder window was between 5.30 a.m. and 6 a.m. Yeah, he Makes worked. Me wonder. He worked real fast. Most of his kills, people, like, they have witnesses that are like, oh, I saw her alive at 2.30 a.m. And then someone walks by at, like, 2.45 and the body's there and he's done and, like, disappeared. So he... Yeah. He worked real fast. Um, but he specifically took her uterus. Yeah, it's uh, it's gruesome. I guess the reports for like mutilations, uh, the ripper part of it fits well because he would literally like stab and then pull down, like drag down, Ugh. and then just fiddle from there, I guess, or whatever he did. So. Ew, fiddle. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> She's just fiddling around in there. It's fine. Fiddling and it was moist. Ew! <laughs> Murder's that's, not funny. <laughs> that's gross. Oh, man. Uh, another side note, just because this makes it sound like we're not awful human beings. Uh, the We are. Let's the, be honest, we are. They have placards for these five women at a cemetery in England, and people will leave flowers and like fourpence on their sites as like a reminder of literally, if anyone had just given them these fourpence, they could have been safe. Hmm, that's interesting. That's really that's cool of it. Like that's really cool. Next was a double murder. <laughs> They happened within one hour of each other, all on the same day. This is yeah, also he works quickly. <laughs> yeah, this is also reflected in the movie in a weird way. So the first one was Elizabeth Stride, and both of these were on September thirtieth, eighteen eighty-eight. Got married when she came to England, and opened a coffee shop. I don't know if coffee was the same back then. Like coffee, the definition of a coffee shop was the same right then as it is now. I, that would be interesting. Does Andy know? He's a coffee connoisseur. I don't know. I would have to ask him. Another day. Mm-hmm. So she also got divorced or separated, I guess is the word they used, um, and began drinking heavily. At 1245, a man saw her being attacked by another man, but he was like, you know what? That's a domestic dispute. I'm going to walk the other way. So he crossed the street, kept walking, because he was like, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm too much drama. And then... God. At 1 a.m., I think it was like a cabbie or someone with a cart, uh, rolled up and found her bleeding to death. And 
in the story just it's kind of funny it's not funny but i guess he thought it was his drunk wife had just like passed out and so he oh. walks right by her into this building to get help to carry her inside and that's when he walks out with this group of people that he sees it's a woman soaked in blood not his wife and part of me wonders if he had noticed no because she was like i don't i don't think back in the day you had something quick enough to stop bleeding like that well maybe just if she was still alive at that point or um, i get yeah yeah he would not have been able to save her she was no yeah but it it was just, just an interesting thought because uh, that's 15 minutes between when someone saw her being attacked and 1 a.m. Her bleeding out. Yeah. He got interrupted, so he didn't have time to mutilate or anything. He literally had choked her, cut her throat, and then ran off because the cabbie was coming by. So, upsetting. Mm-hmm. But naturally, he was like, dang it, I didn't get to fiddle. So... I'm going to go fiddle. Yeah. He finds Catherine Eddowes. And she had three children with a man. But then she found alcohol. They split up. And at 1.35 a.m. on the day of her murder, she was seen by three men talking with a man. And they, like, walk off together, I guess. And at 1.45, she was found by a patrol cop, Watkins. So, again... 10 minutes if if the like if what they were seeing was her which i'm pretty sure they have been like checked but that's only 10 minutes um she was found in meter square city of london the mutilation was a little bit extra this time because he slashed her face and went totally overkill and psychologically I'm wondering if he did that because, one, he really was targeting specific women. And when this, he couldn't do what he wanted to do to the other one. He got mad. Yeah. And because this face wasn't what he had wanted. It's like the artist that gets mad at its painting. Yeah. And so then he, like, took it out on the face. Or she just had a look that reminded him of, like, a specific person or a surrogate or something. Maybe. that's why he like lashed out or he's just a violent awful person which he has um clearly shown to be (laughs) yes uh he took her uterus and her left kidney cool and that needed the left one she could sell the right (laughs) you only need one um the left kidney is the one that gets sent in the box that you were talking about it's not hers specifically but it's that's what gets sent in the box is a left kidney they do find a section of her blood-soaked apron, like a 10-minute walk away from the murder. And it looked as if the blade had been wiped off on it. So on this website, they call it an apron. But if you Google it, it it's called a shawl. And this is like in a museum, I think, somewhere. Um, but it's supposed to be covered in like feces, semen, and her blood, which is... Ugh. That's gross. Yes. So a police officer like walked this beat or whatever. He passed this porch and then 30 minutes later he walked by it again and that's when he saw 
the apron. So that guy, Jack the Ripper, was there in that window, again, walking through the streets, past policemen, past people. Going back to his crime scene. So nobody put together that he was murdering people. But he was a local. So that's why people think he would take like a big overcoat with him. So that after he was done murdering and fiddling, he could put the overcoat on to cover up all the blood splatters and everything and like hide his stuff in. Yep. And let's see. Oh, so that apron is considered to be like the only clue left by the murderer. Hmm. They did not do forensics the way that we do them today. Right. Their goal. <laughs> Well, their goal was to get bodies off the street as quickly as possible. Like, they did not sweep. I mean, they swept, but they didn't, like... So they didn't go and, like, get all of the evidence that they could have. Yeah, they don't even take pictures of the the sites. They literally just pick up the body, take them to the mortuary or wherever, and then they clean all the off the streets because they don't want, you know, crowds of people and they don't want to spook everybody. Um, so, like forensics wasn't a thing and people people would like move clothing um so if the woman was exposed they might pull her skirt back down Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so yeah traditional forensics wasn't a thing so when they say this is the only clue they literally mean this is all they have (laughs) yeah and uh this woman's funeral was on october 8th there were thousands of people lining the streets and 500-ish people uh, were at the cemetery where she was buried. Damn. And this... That's a lot of people. Yeah. This is the murder where he first starts getting called Jack the Ripper in the news because of that letter mm-hmm. that we'll talk about. So, the next murder we have, it happens on November 9th, and it is Mary Kelly. So, obviously, different from the movie. I just want to add, the reason he spaces these out is because after each murder, they flooded the streets with police. So, he was being smart. So, he's, like, clearly intelligent and thought out and has some sort of control over himself to where he can wait till it kind of cools down a little bit, I guess. Till the hot fuzz is gone. Her, her murder photos look a lot like... Like the French woman who gets murdered in the movie in her room. And those are actually the first crime scene photos. That's the only murder where they uh, actually took photos of the crime scene. Yeah, they took photos. They talked. They like recorded in detail what they saw at the scene, what was going on. But it was not so easy to clean up. Uh, so that might be why. Yeah. Um. Mary has, she also has the least known about her, basically. Um, She told her, is it best friend or boyfriend? Boyfriend. Boyfriend, okay. Uh, She told her boyfriend that she was born in in Limerick, Ireland, which is awesome. Go go Irish. There we go. (laughs) The stutter happened. Sorry. Um, Her husband died in a moan moan explosion, in a mine explosion, uh, which is how she ended up in London. And in 1884, she met a French woman who 
ran a fancy brothel where she started working because brothels are the way to go for that kind of thing. And she's, she told stories of being well off and accompany, accompanying men to France. We don't really know if this is true or not, but it does explain the character's dress in the film and how she's nicer looking a little. Exactly. That, Tyler can tell you, the second she walked on, I was like, that is not the dress a prostitute at that time and place would wear. And once I read this backstory from Mary Kelly, it all made sense because she... None of that French brothel stuff is, like, proven. These are all just stories that she's told people. They have no records of Mary Kelly like they do the other ones. But as soon as I read that and she was, like, fancy clothes, I was like, oh, that's a weird detail to bring into the movie. But I get it now. (laughs) So for some reason she left them uh, for the East End where she asked her landlady to help her get a chest of fancy clothes from the brothel. Um. So she wanted to take him with her. But then she started drinking heavily because, you know, that's that's how this has all led yeah, this way. This but is the thing. A lot of drinking. Um, she's described in papers just as her movie character um, is. So fair complexion, light-haired, attractive, intelligent artist, and well-liked by pretty much everybody. Which is a, a good trait to have when you're a woman of the night. <laughs> as, as they say discreetly. Um, in 1888, her and her boyfriend fell on, uh, financial issues and she started prostituting again, which caused issues for them. Um, her window got broken by the door, uh, just like in the movie and then he moved out. Um, so, you know, that's unfortunate. That was another just like random miscellaneous detail they put in the movie that really didn't play anything to the plot, but it happened in real life. It was there. Yeah. (laughs) It was there. Uh, the night of her murder, I, a man saw her walk away with a man at 2 a.m. And at 10.45, she was found in her room. Um, and this happened on 13 Miller's Court in Biddlefields. going to go with it. There's an A in there. Um, but she had been skinned to the bone. And she was ID'd by her eyes and her ears. Which is really interesting to be identified by with ears. She is like the epitome of escalation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just gonna we're just gonna take it all, but but not. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's kind of that's a dramatic shift, um, in my opinion. So it seems a little weird that he would go from. A very methodical thing to just mayhem yeah but if he's verging on the end of like a psychological break or a worsening psychological break yeah. that would yeah. make sense he just like lost control the other th- four the other four victims that are in the Whitechapel mm. murder oh i'm sorry i just hit my microphone the Whitechapel <laughs> murder file have been accepted as not being jack the ripper but there's arguments, I guess, that could be made that they are. But uh, I think everyone pretty much has agreed they're not. Okay. The first one is Rose Milet, murdered December 20th, 1888, found in Clark's Yard Poplar. Her death was deemed accidental by police doctors, but the coroner, coroner, and <laughs> we're killing it today, the coroner and others 
disagreed and ended up changing it to murder by persons or persons unknown. And hmm. she was not mutilated. That's all the details I got on that one. Uh, I think it's fair to say that that one... If you have to question whether she was murdered, it probably wasn't Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next potential, the other potential victim uh, was Alice McKenzie, and that's this happened in July seven on, <clears throat> on July seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine. Eighteen eighty nine. Sorry. Eighteen eighty nine. Um, and it happened at Cast uh, Castle Alley off Whitechapel High Street. These are a lot of names for streets. I'm so used to so many numbers with streets. <laughs> um, but she had two stab wo- stab wounds to her throat, so that's that's a little um, harsh. It's Ripper-ish. <laughs> yeah. Um, a slash from her breast to the navel and shallow wounds and scratches to her lower abdomen were also found. Um, but they're not very deep or confident sounding, so more than likely it would be a copycat rather than like somebody who knew that they, what they were doing and had done it before yeah you don't tend to go backwards i think once you've murdered that many once you murder and skinned somebody yeah there's no going backwards <laughs> yeah the next one is the pynchon street murder the i guess identified is the word you would say september 10th 1889 all it is is a mutilated torso of unidentified woman found under a railway arch. So it's possible that it's a victim that he was experimenting on and then dumped, but he didn't care in the past, so probably not the Ripper. Yeah. Also could be the torso of a different ghost in a newer version of 13 Ghosts that's a female. Um, and then the final victim is Francis Cole, who died on February 13th, 1891. And this was near the Tower of London in Swallow Gardens of Mansell Street. Her throat was cut, but there was no other mutilations to that. Um, and she was still alive when, pe- when she was found by police, and they believe it was interrupted. Uh, so that one... I Again, it's two Possible. years. It's two years later. So, it's possible, but without that mutilation, you can't definitively say anything. But thankfully, I guess she wasn't mutilated. Uh, I don't. I don't know if she she did not survive. That was dumb of me to say. She definitely didn't survive. That's why she's in this pile. (laughs) Yeah. No. She she was alive when she was found, but police think that they it was interrupted, which is why she was still alive when she was found. But she did die. So next. We're going to talk about the letters that were sent and these so, yeah. are the yeah the ones we've been referencing. Yeah, so the letters sent to London Metro Police, a.k.a. Scotland Lard. Scotland Lard. Okay, we're <laughs> really on this. Scotland Yard. Um, it's kind of like the Zodiac Killer. You would send uh, like... Whoa, Puzzles. Like, they were like, yeah, codes and stuff to the, to the police that they would have to deci- decipher. Um, they received 700 letters over the course of the investigation, so that's a lot, and probably a lot of fakes, I would assume. So, some other, uh, some are kind of crazies, just being like, I do, I, I know who the murderer is, or I am the murderer, and it's me! Um, 
because people did that for some reason and do that for some reason. Um, but others are considered to be from the actual murderer and until they weren't. So they had to go through all of these and try and like decipher which ones actually came from the real murderer, they think, or which ones did not. They also had letters that were people claiming to know who these, the yeah. killer was. And part of the reason that psychic stuff gets brought into the comics so much is because there were some psychics that would write letters and say hey it's this guy and here's the address and the guy they named was an actual suspect but the address they gave like didn't exist so just a lot of people weighed in on this case (laughs) um that sound that you just heard by the way was kitty rubbing up on the uh, microphone just saying hi to all you listeners out but the first letter yeah (laughs) anyways that's your uh, palate cleanser, as Morbid calls it, but uh, your happy distraction. Yetis! Because cats, they're all involved in these podcasts. I like to think that that street of Whitechapel was they're, you, they're flooded with stray cats, cats everywhere. Yeah. And that's yeah. what the prostitutes played with while they were waiting to get picked up. They'd pick up a string that was on the side of the, the, the road and they'd start playing with the kitty. That's, exactly. that's, I like that idea. So the first letter was sent to London News Agency on the 27th of September, 1888, and it was dubbed the Dear Boss Letter. And it said, and we quote, Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. Like we said, he wasn't actually leather apron. Right. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave that lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved one of the proper red stuff and ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. So he wanted to write like in the blood? of mm-hmm. one of his, of victim. his victims is that what okay i just want yeah, to yeah. make sure i understood he, so basically he he collected it and then it coagulated and then he was like well fuck <laughs> in short terms yeah that's read between the lines this whole thing just says well fuck mm-hmm. the next job i do i shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly wouldn't you keep this letter back till i do a bit more work then give it out straight so he's saying, don't let people know about it until these things happen. Yeah. In which case, then you know it's really me. Exactly. <laughs> My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get back to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, which is a weird thing to put in there, Jack the Ripper. Yours and truly. So he <laughs> named himself, uh, who's the BTK? Is that the guy who named himself? Who like offered up yeah. a bunch of different names? And yeah, they were he was trying dumb. to give. Yeah, he tried to give the police a bunch of different names, and he and none of them went with it. They just called him BTK because his names were dumb to begin with. They release. This is the letter they release after the double murder because they're like, oh shit, maybe this is really is from the killer. So they give it back to the news and they post it and they start calling him Jack the Ripper. Hmm. Uh, but 
The letter kind of goes on with a little P.S. and it says, Don't mind me, given the trade name. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha ha. So he's clearly been following the police investigation. Whoever wrote this. Following the investigation. And is just being an arrogant fuck. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but they... Ha ha ha. ha. Yeah. Like, cool. They end up thinking that this letter was actually written by a journalist named Thomas something. There's a lot of Thomases in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, he was... Thomas not was the not murderer. the murderer. The murderer did not write this. They think Thomas wrote it to either up the sales of their news or to just make the story more exciting. And it uh, just so happened that after that, two women get murdered. <laughs> No big deal. It's fine. Um, Then on October 1st, a postcard with a similar handwriting was sent to the Central News Agency again. It also had red ink, but with bloodstains this time. So, there you go. It said, so it wrote, I was not I was not cotting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about see Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit. Couldn't finish straight off hand, off hat. No, no, no punctuation. Straight off. Had not time to get ears for police. Thanks, uh, thanks for keeping my last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper, or or Saucy Jack. Saucy Jackie. I like Saucy Jackie better. Yeah, we're gonna call him Saucy Jackie from now on. Saucy Jackie. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> again. That's so hard to read. I know. I know. Wait, the later ones are even worse because whoever wrote them was uneducated, or was educated to the best of their ability, I guess. Yeah. But again, this one I think they attribute to the same guy from the first one. Yeah. All right. Saucy Jack. You really think he would call himself Saucy Saucy Jackie? Saucy Jackie. It needs to be a snap in it. (laughs) Saucy Jackie, bitch. And... (laughs) So the the next letter that is really, like, important, I guess, is the letter from hell, which is what the comic book and movie are named after. And this gets kind of convoluted, and it's really hard to figure out why they, like, I don't know. It's, it's when you read it on the website, it's a lot of extra info. <laughs> so yeah. this is what I pulled out. Uh, starting around the time of Jack the Ripper, some neighborhood watch parties started organizing themselves. And the leader of these was a Mr. Lusk, who was in the news a lot. And so that kind of made him a target. For Jack the Ripper or people who were pretending to be him or something. And he would have some really weird instances and meetings with random strangers. And it goes into like a bunch of different times. Random men walked up and did something weird and then walked away. But eventually he ends up getting a letter titled From Hell on October 16th, 1888. And it came with a small package wrapped in brown paper which contained a kidney. The handwriting was similar to the other letters and it was signed Jack the Ripper but it was in black ink the like handwriting to me when I compared the two letters wasn't similar at all (laughs) and then as you'll hear the 
style is wildly different and the spelling if you read it atrocious oh <laughs> so it says mr lusk so it says just to give you an example for sir Sore. it's s-o-r Sore. It says sir i send you half the kidney i took from one woman preserved it for you t'other piece i fried and ate it was very nice i may send Ew. you the bloody knife that took it out that took it out if you only wait a, a while longer signed catch me when you can mr lusk hmm. so yeah this is where they started saying he might be a cannibal <laughs> gross uh, the kidney was assessed by multiple doctors who said that it was indeed human. Some people went as far as to say it was a left human kidney, but they never really put it with uh, the one they took it from. Eden? Edwin? What the heck is her name? Eddowes. Um, Catherine Eddowes. They don't believe that it's her kidney overall. And that it's just like hmm. a copycat kidney. They started to think, or what they claimed and wrote it off as, is a medical student prank. And that they had used a cadaver or something to get that kidney and send it. Uh, mm -hmm. They also note that it was not in beer. Because that was one of the things in the letter was that he was preserving them in ginger beer or something like that. It had been preserved. Oh, in, yeah. It had been dumped in wine. Hmm. Interesting. And there is a second letter that gets sent in the same handwriting and everything as the From Hell one. Uh, but they had already deemed it like a copycat by then, so it's not all that prevalent to the story. As far as we know, he's unidentified. We don't, we don't know who Jack the Ripper really was. And there are multiple reasons why that is. Um, so, so here are some reasons you can't ID him. Including the lack of evidence and forensic practices that they lacked incredibly on. There was a lot of misinformation and false testimony on this too. So prostitutes had nick had nicknames, uh, nicknamed a man Leather Apron who was running an extortion rack and threatening to kill them if they didn't pay him. So you know that creepy guy that appears with a knife and he's like, I'll slit your throat. Um, who, oh, what is that actor's name all of a sudden? <laughs> trying to remember what he was in but it doesn't matter um but apparently this guy somehow led him to start assuming that the murder was of jewish faith and so that's why like you get that like little hint in the movies where it's like it's, it was a jew and it's like no i don't want to lead on like the jew topic here like that's not where we're going <laughs> with this at all <laughs> this man is id'd and cleared of all charges after annie chapman's death so um there that scores that one out um they also did not, he did not use tools at their disposal. So artist renditions of the witness accounts and media and et cetera, they're, they're, there's just not a lot of evidence pretty much. <laughs> um, but there's also personal prejudices against people and yeah, they types laid, of people. Yeah. They laid really heavily into the Jewish aspect and they were so certain for a long time. So they were targeting them, and then they were, like I said, they were ignoring anyone 
who was seen as like upper class and yeah it was a mess <laughs> yeah and uh scotland scotland yard had a lot of tight regulations and so who knows how things were exactly run back in the day like that and i'm sure it was difficult and, and to, for that thing yeah to like get away with stuff i've also heard that the people that were hired to police this particular area were not friendly it would uh, make sense yeah I mean, if you're in a rough neighborhood, you probably have to, like, put up airs sometimes. But, mm -hmm. um, yes, there are stories about them. So, I love the show Criminal Minds. And I used to watch it every week with my parents. And so I was reading about Jack the Ripper, and I was like, things I've learned from Criminal Minds. I know. I know. I, I think about this all the time. I'm like, man... I've learned so much from watching crime mo like crime shows. Me too. And so if I were on the team of Criminal Minds, these are the things that I would say. Jack the Ripper did not start murdering with that first victim they claim, uh, Mary Nichols. That was not his yeah. first victim. You do not go from happy-go-lucky to I'm going to start playing with your entrails. He 100% yeah. Had escalated to that point, it would just be interesting to see how he got there. It's not interesting because I don't want to uh, have him murder more people, but there was something previously that he'd done. Mm -hmm. um, the aspect of him mutilating women and their wombs and things like that is attributable to a few different things. He clearly has a strong hatred of women. These very specific women, I think, are either surrogates for someone in his own life. Like, maybe he got left by a mother for alcohol or had a mm. bad thing with a prostitute or something like that. Because, um, like we said, they were all women who had left their families and... And had kids. Well, some of them had kids. Issues with alcohol and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it could also just be that he was, like felt like they were not as important in society and so they were easy mm -hmm. targets again easy targets they literally just invite him into their lives yeah. and he was probably pretty strong and because he slashes those throats deep yeah, like like real fucking deep. And so same with like the body, he just stabs and it's just tears it down. <laughs> yeah, there's no hesitation. It's brutal. So he's clearly so like probably a fit tradesman or something, like Yeah. He's not the old Bilbo. <laughs> no. Which is why no, no, in no. the movie Bilbo had to uh poison him. And use a henchman. Yes. Yes. Poor henchman. He was not a willing participant in no. the movie, just in case anyone was wondering. That actor who plays the henchman in the movie also plays Je Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in um, League of the Extraordinary. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. They say that he was unorganized, but I think he was highly fucking organized. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, with what he took and being able to get away with it and hide it and walk around clearly yeah i think he was good <laughs> he 
was prepared for these murders. I don't I don't think that he targeted specific women, like he stalked them or anything. Um, I think they were just like murders of opportunity, blitz attacks. But to wrong, me, that's... Uh, wrong place, wrong time. I yeah, feel. that's still organized that he brought coats and thought... Took organs. He, I think he knew the police walking by times, their routes, and that's how he mm-hmm. could get in and out so quickly. But yeah organized i think yeah for him it was either one or both um it could have been ritualistic the reason i say that is because when he failed to murder that first one of the night elizabeth i think twas her name uh catherine was the second yeah elizabeth he immediately found a second one like not being able to do the mutilation was so unsatisfying to him (laughs) either because He couldn't finish the ritual, or he didn't get that, like, sexual satisfaction release. Right. Which is possible if semen was actually on that shawl apron thing. Mm-hmm. And thus I conclude this episode of Criminal Minds. <laughs> Join us that's, next week. That's what we know. There's a lot of theories that go into this, though. Because because nobody knows who the killers is, there's so many different theories. Some of them are like, yeah, okay, like I could kind of try and see this, and others are just super left-handed, off the freeway, in another world kind of deal. Yeah. Um. So one of the theories is that Sir William Gull was not considered as a suspect until much later, when they, uh, when the theory arises. But um, at that time, he was 70 at the, with the murders. So, um, like, he was 70 years old during the time of the murders. I don't think a 70-year-old could be that quickly, that quick with um, pulling organs out and shit. Yeah, and he is, like, the primary focus of that theory we talked about, the conspiracy royal the theory. The royal conspiracy, yeah. So, I would have to agree that a 70-year-old, and this is Victorian... London, he's probably looks, he's probably not as healthy as 70 year olds this day Definitely not. Oh, definitely not. So, yes, yes, I am doubtful. The whole conspiracy Um, thing is a stretch, but yes. Yeah, but, and again, these are just all theories. Um, So another theory is that he was a famous Victorian painter, Walter Sickert. Sickert? Sickert? Sickert. There's the T on the ends screw with me really badly. Um, and that ties into both the movie and the comic. Uh, in the comic book, the painter Walter Sickert is the one who takes the baby and hides it at some other location to the grandparents mm-hmm. or something. And he's the one they black the women blackmail. Yeah. In the movie, the rich, famous painter is the prince's disguise. There's also one that he could be the grandson of Queen Victoria. So there's a there's a stretch too. I feel. Yeah, people are really quick to assume conspiracies with any sort of government system, and yeah. any sort of secret society. So the Freemasons oh, yeah. and the royal family are in a lot All of these far fetched <laughs> theories. Yes. Um, and since 1888, there have been more than a hundred su- suspects that have been named, but obviously, um, no charges because there's no evidence at this point. Could be gang violence less likely with how organized it was because again they say it's unorganized but i think those murders were pretty fucking organized 
So, well, and the fact that. that they weren't seen anywhere else after that. Yeah, it's also possibly possible and theorized that someone with working uh, anatomical knowledge, like knowing how to cut things out, would be selling the wombs on the black market and things like that. So they're trying to make money from killing these prostitutes. Which I mean, I guess, but gross. <laughs> I mean, it's all gross, but that one that's, was that's built on a story where a doctor who would sit in on these like corner reports was like, "Hey, one time, an American doctor, because you know America, uh, came up to me and was like, "Hey, do you know where I could buy a womb? I need to get a womb." And so that's where my that, wife needs a womb. That's where <laughs> that theory came from. Gross. And then another theory was the, you know, he's a cannibal. The killer's a cannibal because they, uh, whoever sent that letter with the kidney was like, I ate the other one and it was delicious. I ate it with some, with some fava beans. <laughs> <laughs> the last and final theory that I could find came out in 2019. And, or at least it was reported on in 2019. And mm -hmm. somebody did DNA sequencing on the bloody shawl that had the semen on it they believe that that resulted in aaron kosminski as being the murderer so through that dna matching sequence thing they did they found that that dna matched with a down the tree relative mm -hmm. of the kosminski family which is how they put it with him aaron was a suspect in the original investigation he w hmm. at the time was a 23 year old polish barber and he was actually a prime suspect for a while i'm not sure i don't remember why they ended up eliminating him i think he just like his mannerisms didn't fit it and they couldn't prove it so a well damn yeah a memoir written by melville last name weird he wrote that Cosmin McNaughton, maybe? McNaughton? Melville McNaughton. He wrote that Kosminski had a great hatred of women, particularly prostitutes, strong homicidal tendencies, and was moved to a lunatic asylum in March 1889. And that is kind of why the murders would have stopped around that time. Ooh. Ooh. The Sorry, I had to. <laughs> website that I read, uh, when you click on vic uh, not victims... What are we talking about? Not suspects. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> when you click on suspects, it lists all of them. And if you click on his, his asylum timeline doesn't really match up with that book that it referenced. But um, mm. he was kind of in and out. And in the notes from those asylum visits, it said that he thought he was possessed by an instinct that informs his mind so to me in a criminal minds episode that's a guy who's like i can't help it like i have to kill right so he also refused to eat food that people gave him because something told him not to so he chose to eat out of the gutter Basically, huh. he was schizophrenic, delusional, paranoid, and altogether just not there. But yeah, all of his medical records from the asylum or the notes they took said that he was nonviolent and non-homicidal. 
So I'm not sure where Melville McNaughton got his notes that he was homicidal. It would be really cool if that DNA sequencing was right. I don't think anyone has accepted it as being definitive because there's no nothing else to support that he was right. the murderer. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So the last thing to close out this long episode that kind of had to do with the movie but was mostly just Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yeah. It's the similarities between the cases of the case of Jack the Ripper and the movie. Yes. Because to be honest, there wasn't a lot to find on this movie. Um, I tried to find background, uh, like behind the scenes stuff. There's really, Mm -hmm. all I could find is, it was filmed here. (laughs) Cool, thanks. Yeah, it was hard to find stuff. And then people just going off about the Freemasons. So Mm. (laughs) that's a lot. Of course, Aberlene was a real person and the prostitutes' names and the murderers were true, except for Mary Kelly surviving. That was obviously not true. Yeah, they were pretty true about who got murdered where and how and when. So Yeah, keeping it straight. Probably just to keep with like the history and not screw everybody up and um get them to not understand things. Yeah, that would have made it so confusing. Yeah. I say with sarcasm because it was already confusing. <laughs> uh there was a real psychic named Robert Lees, which isn't in the movie because they made the inspector psychic. I think just to have somebody psychic because it was so prevalent in the comics. Um, right. But like we said, it, it plays absolutely no role in furthering the plot. Yeah, no, it it, it doesn't do anything for the plot. Um, there were actually grape, fra- uh, grape stems found at one of the crime scenes, at least one of the crime scenes. And then in the movie, um, that's like his only argument for that's, rich people. That's, it's th- And that's like his calling card. Yeah, he, the inspector, every time he finds it, he's like, it's grapes! It's a rich guy! And nobody listens. Uh, Sir William Gole had no real involvement in the case in real life, and he probably wasn't even a Mason. Uh, Somebody asked the United Grand Lodge of England, and they said, nope, he wasn't. But a secret society probably isn't that forthcoming with information sometimes, so who knows? Like, if some one of your members was accused of one of the most infamous murders in history, I probably would separate myself from him, too. <laughs> huh. Yeah, no question about it. Spelling of the Jews refers to an ancient group of rogue Masonic murders. So, um, real quick. In the movie, we didn't talk about it. And in real life. When they found the apron, they also found some graffiti on the wall that said something like, the Jews are not to be blamed. But it mm-hmm. was spelled J-U- w-e-s and in the movie johnny depp is like wow look he is clearly intelligent he can even spell jews right and i was like is that how it's spelled but after reading what you're about to say it makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah so the spelling of jews refers to an ancient group of rogue masonic murderers um or so the the kingston masonic library of new york says um but according to the masonic code or masoniccode.com there is a ritual of master masons and or a ritual of master mason and historically someone got slain by three men uh termed jews j-e-w-e-s nope j-u-w-e-s that's what i meant um (laughs) (laughs) yeah dyslexia is fun so basically from there it just spirals out of control into mason folklore i'm gonna call it but um yeah 
it just gets so weird. So we'll stop it there. But it's the, just too much. <laughs> yeah. But that to me is an important part of the movie that you miss if you don't understand the spelling, the significance of the spelling, which they put no effort into explaining. He literally is like, right. Oh, he knows how to spell it. And I was like, that's not how you spell it. What are you talking about? Did they spell it differently in England? So yeah, that was significant. And that is why, but basically those are it. They just took the movie and they took real life Jack the Ripper and they sprinkled random tidbits into this movie, like a broken window. And it didn't make any sense when you did that, when they did it that way. The Cleopatra thing, the French woman that is tied to Mary Kelly in real life was a brothel manager. And in the movie, she's just some miscellaneous lesbian French woman who is so desperate for a home, she'll do anything. And she gets murdered. So it's weird. It's confusing. Katie watched it twice. I, yeah, I watched it twice, and I still don't fully understand it because I couldn't focus and keep my concentration on it to the point where I would, like, I would lose bits of it, I basically. Un- I understood the plot and the twisties, but I hated that it wasn't complete. It was right. just... And it didn't explain anything. Yeah, it was just mashed together bits and pieces. Yeah. However... But that- that it's from hell <laughs> however i would not deter anyone from watching it it is entertaining no, it's, yeah and I, it does have johnny depp i feel like it's one it. that people might have differing opinions on some people are probably like wow i really like that movie people like us who are very analytical are like i don't get it i want yeah. i like completion i hate hate when it just ends and there's no explanation which drives me what nuts what the fuck I know. I need to understand what ritual he thought he was doing. That, to me, is the part that I need explained the most. Because that is literally the whole plot. Why was he killing these women? Yeah. So, so yeah. That's from hell. We don't have watch any... it if you haven't seen it. But, we don't. yeah, we don't have any tidbits and fun facts. It's already a long as fuck episode. Sorry. <laughs> it's <laughs> not streaming for free on anything. You have to rent it. I think the cheapest yeah. was Amazon Prime and YouTube are like three ninety nine or something. Yep, that's exactly. For more fun stuff, oh, I'm gonna post the website and some of those pictures to our Instagram. Oh, that's which a good plan. You can find at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. You can also Gmail us your opinions, reviews, any mistakes that we may have made or things we missed. Yeah, uh, or requests. It's yeah. all at a. Uh, horrorcatswitchhats at gmail.com it's all one word and our facebook which we forgot to mention earlier is the same as the instagram horror underscore cats underscore witchhats yep and you can follow us subscribe comment interact like we would love it just uh don't kill prostitutes in the name of our podcast thanks for listening it needed more tune in next time it, oh, everything needs more kitties. We we all need more kitties in our life. Come on. Apparently it doesn't like my, my uh, high-pitched meow, so meow. <laughs> <laughs>